You may be thinking that as he read that text, that's a really odd one to have for, uh, for Palm Sunday. And in fact, you'll see in next week when we're celebrating Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that uh, we're not going to be in that either. But it's very interesting, the timing, because the message that Jesus had for the crowds at this time is very appropriate for what happened on that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. If you remember, the crowds, they are uh, shouting Hosanna, which is this term of to save, save us. And it became, uh, it went from being a cry for God to rescue them and more of a, a praise that he is our savior. But what's interesting is that there were those who looked at those that were worshiping and said, do you see what's happening? And, and Jesus said, this, is, this was to fulfill prophecy. And so over and over again, as we've been going through Matthew's gospel, we've been seeing Matthew point us back to the prophets, especially to Isaiah, but even sometimes Jesus himself pointed us back to the prophets, which he will do today. So today, is a message really all about worship. And this week I was listening to one of my favorite uh, pastors online and he talked about worship. He said, worship is this inner reality that has an outward expression rather than an outward expression with no inward commitment. And so when we worship, it's more than just using our mouths. We really do use our hearts. It's got to come from inside out. And so my, my suggestion to you this morning, those of you who are here, as well as those of you who are watching online, would just be to, to dial in, just to take these moments because what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. I mean, that's true of anything. But, but when it comes to worship, even though you might not be feeling it, uh, you know, have your heart tell your face that you love Jesus. Um, you know, you, you need to make a, a decision on the inside that says, even though I'm not here, I, I, I don't feel like doing this right now. <laughs> Maybe somebody's asked you to be here and, and they're not, not necessarily forcing you to be here. Um, but, but you're here and you're, you're, you're listening. And, you know, I would just encourage you just to dial in for these moments as we get into this together. Um, Jesus once again runs into the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And a lot of times what we tend to do is we lump them together. But the, what, what's also called as the scribes, these guys were the ones that were the lawyers uh, in, in the cities. Um, so a lot of times we think, oh yeah, Pharisees and, and, uh, and these scribes are all one. Well, they're not. Um, but you've got these two groups of people that are coming to Jesus and they have some concerns. Have you ever had anybody in your life that, I've got a concern, and, and you know where they're going. You know, they, they just tend to always have a concern, and I feel like this is what Jesus is always dealing with. He's got these guys that always have a concern, but so you've got the teachers of the law, but the Pharisees, I'm sure that if you spent any amount of time uh, in, in the scriptures, you've maybe heard of the Pharisees before, and, and you think of them as the, you know, kind of the religious elites, that kind of thing, and, and you think of them as, as being, you know, over and above the law. I mean, they were always doing the extra, extra work. Um, and, and, but they, this, they were a holiness sect. They were, they were so into being and living a holy life 
that whatever God told them to do, they wanted to do extra, and, and they were very proud of it. They, they not only were proud of it in the eyes of those around them, but they, they did it to be seen by God. They wanted to be accepted by God. They were doing their righteousness, living a right life in order to be accepted by God. But we already know the Apostle Paul himself a Pharisee would say that there is no one who is righteous, not even one, not myself, nobody in this room, nobody watching online. We are all rebellious. We've all turned our backs on God, which is why we then celebrate what Jesus did on Good Friday and laying his life down for us. And then Resurrection Sunday. So some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him, why do your disciples Break the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Kind of sounds like something we may want to do nowadays. I, you've probably never heard this in the past year and a half, that you may want to wash your hands before you eat. But they don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, they're not talking about just being clean, you know, uh, so that you're, you're, you're cleaning your hands from disease and sickness and that kind of thing. This is a ceremonial washing that the Pharisees, that the elders decided needed to happen before you uh, took a bite of bread. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? So, Jesus is then going to give them an example. He said, for God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or their mother with it. This is what's happening with this. You might be thinking, okay, these guys, they, they're, they're giving an offering, and for some reason it impacts their parents. Well, um, he's talking about how uh, we care well for our, our parents, our, our, our moms, our dads. And, and a lot of times they were all living together. But because the Pharisees were always going above and beyond, you see, if God said tithe 10% of their produce, they would tithe 20%. If they were to give a certain offering, they would give more. If they were, you know, so they were always doing more in order to, to look right in God's eyes and to look right in each other's eyes as well. And so a practice of what they were doing was that instead of caring well for their parents, they were taking that money that they had set aside in savings and they were giving it over and above. God did not require them to, to give these offerings. And, and I get it. I mean, you know, maybe you've got a, a regular uh, tithe that you give. And then sometimes, you know, uh, because of, the, uh, of your blessings, you've been able to, to bless our church with, you know, new carpeting or, or we've been able to, to, to feed the hungry and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so you give above and beyond. And, and that's not what Jesus is really calling out. He is saying that, you know, here you think you're doing your righteousness to be seen by others. And, and what's happening is that you are dishonoring your mother and your father. You are taking this, this tradition of the elders and you are now making it law. And you are placing these burdens on the people around you and you are doing nothing to lift those burdens from them. And he says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me. What's, what are those next two words? In vain. 
Their teachings are merely human rules. I, I set that aside because that, you know, where King Solomon says, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, you know, where he writes that out, it simply means that this is empty. This is an empty way of life. What you're doing is empty. It, it's, it's, it's bringing you uh, no closer to God because what they're doing is they're, they're doing things to be seen by others, but not to actually have a relationship with God. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then Jesus turns his attention to the crowd. And um, and he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? (laughs) As if Jesus, I guess, was ever offended at, at the Pharisees' responses to his teaching and his actions. And he, he, he kind of skirted off. He, just, he, he didn't really deal with their question, but he said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots, leave them. They are blind guides. This is where we get the blind leading the blind. He says, you have these blind guides in your life, and if you follow them, the blind person who's leading you is going to lead you straight into the pit that they're walking in as well. <laughs> and Peter, uh, we see him uh, throughout uh, the time, sometimes being the spokesperson for uh, the disciples, and he speaks up and he says, you know, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, listen, do, are you, do you still not understand? I mean, he uses that word, are you still so dull? You know, uh, Jesus asked them, and then don't you see that whatever, and he's just, he's like, okay, l- let me just, let me just tell you how the body works, Okay. That when you go home today and you have lunch, something's going to happen with that food. Your body is going to utilize that for energy, and what it doesn't utilize for energy, it's going to expel. So Jesus has just given them a little lesson in, in biology, right? So um, he says, you know, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, this is what defiles him. And he'll go on and then and give some, uh, for instances, he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. And if you remember when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the fact that it goes deeper than not striking someone. It goes deeper than not killing someone. It's saying to someone, I hate you. It's, it's committing uh, character assassination. So it goes deeper than just the act of murder. Adultery. Back to the Sermon on the Mount. It goes deeper than just the act. It's the thoughts that, that uh, lead us into sin. Sexual immorality, stealing from others, uh, giving false testimony. You know, you're lying about someone's character. Slander. You're slandering someone. You're speaking against someone. These are what defile a person. But eating, come on, really? Eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. My encouragement to you through this text is, uh, first, is that we would focus living out the commands of God over the traditions of man. Now, how many of you have traditions? We like to joke that if we do one, something one time in our family, that now it's a tradition. So we, then we have to do it, right? Um, but, but we have traditions, and traditions can be good so long as they're not empty especially the traditions that are somehow tied to our faith, that, that you know, they can be empty if they don't remind us of, the deeper, of a deeper relationship with God. 
So focus on living the commands of God over the traditions of men. Traditions are not a bad thing. Uh, Yaroslav Pelikan said, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And there's a difference. And he said that it's, it's traditionalism that gives tradition a bad name. Traditions aren't bad, but they can be if, it's, if you're like all about your tradition, but you're nullifying the word of God somehow in your life. Outside of having some really cool hair, um, G.K. Chesterton said that tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. He, he said that the, the dead have a voice. And so what we're doing with tradition, because tradition can be meaningful. I mean, it's why we do something like this. It's not commanded in Scripture that we do this. It's not commanded in Scripture that we celebrate Christmas. But we do. It, it, it brings meaning to us. But we've even found with, with that tradition that some people can celebrate the tradition of Christmas but miss the meaning of Christmas. So we have to make sure that even though traditions can be good, they can also be used in a bad way. But what, what he's saying here is that what we're doing with tradition is that we're allowing the dead to have a voice. We're allowing them to speak to us. Uh, it could be that you've got traditions in your family because it's something that your mom and dad did. It could be that you've got those traditions because it's something that their mom and uh, dad did. Uh, Michelle and I, when we're doing pre-marriage mentoring, we talk a lot about the normals. You see, when you come into a marriage, you have your normal, and they have their normal. And what happens when the two normals collide, you know? Uh, one of you, you know, your normal is to open Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. The other person's normal is to open them on Christmas morning. What do you do? It's those kind of things where you have traditions, and if you don't talk about those things, but we have these traditions that are passed from one generation to another, and they're, they can be wonderful traditions so long as they're not lacking in the meaning of what God wanted us to have through them. Um, I came to faith in a United Methodist Church back in Plymouth, Michigan, under an incredible pastor uh, by the name of John Grenfell, and, and he, had been, he had been my pastor from fifth grade until he was promoted to glory about three years ago, three and a half years ago. Um, but it, it's within that tradition that the, the church is called Methodist because of John Wesley. John Wesley didn't start a new denom denomination. He was serving the Church of England, but because of the revival that was sweeping England through him, through uh, his ministry, through his partners, through his, his, his brother Charles's hymns, the songs that they were singing. Um, but John Wesley talked, he, he talked about this the four things that he used in order to discern God's heart and his will uh, for his life. And so um, there, was a, there was a gentleman who was studying what John Wesley was doing, and he called it the, the, the quadrilateral, but it was like four different sides of taking a look at this. But first and foremost was Scripture. First, he believed that the living core of the faith was revealed in Scripture as the sole foundational source. The centrality of Scripture was so important for Wesley that he called himself a man of one book, and he insisted that Scripture is the first authority and contains the only measure whereby all is tested. But we, we all come to um, Scripture with some other things as well, and it, we, we always have to look at, the, so that if, you know, in your notes, it's tradition, reason, and experience. We may have some experiences, but we always try to match them up with Scripture. 
when we're reasoning out our faith, you know, that there's some reasonableness to our faith. We're always matching that up with scripture and that the traditions that have come throughout the years and, and Wesley called, he, he was leaning more on like the, the 1700, 1800 years prior to him of, of biblical translation and, and, uh, tradition that, that he could read and that he believed that there would, there would be no new scriptural interpretation. Um, we would, we would need to look back at tradition and what Orthodox Christianity was saying, because if something brand new came on the scene, he's like, hold on, the dead need to speak as well. We look back to, to, to tradition. Tradition isn't bad. Um, but then he also talked about the fact that there is a, a reasonableness to our faith, that, that we use reason, we use our minds, that if we've got any questions, we go try to get those answered. We go to investigate those questions and those doubts that we've got. And so, uh, but there's a reason to our faith, and there's a reason for it for us to be able to come to faith in Christ, so we reason it out for ourselves. But if you remember, Scripture says that we also provide a reason for the hope that we have. There needs to be um, some some reason to it, some some mindfulness to it. But then there's experience, and I I, I want to read this to you because this is pretty awesome. Um, uh, what I always appreciated about John Wesley was one of the one of his early earlier experiences. He was actually a priest in the Church of England, but before he actually and he was actually going on missions trips and sharing Jesus with other people. But he felt like at one night at a little church on Aldersgate Street that his heart was strangely warmed. And um, th- so for Wesley, faith was more than merely an acknowledgement of ideas. and it-, it involved experiential faith. In other words, genuine truth should lead to vital personal experience for the Christian. Reason alone is not sufficient to bring us into a vital personal experience of God and his truth. It must be impregnated by the Holy Spirit if we are to understand the mysteries of God. To quote Martin Lloyd-Jones, what is needed is logic on fire. I love that. Logic on fire. Think through things, but man, do you believe it deep down in your heart? Do you feel it strongly? But it's logic on fire. Apart from scripture, experience is the strongest proof of Christianity. Having our hearts strangely warmed, as, as Wesley described on May 24th of 1738, and for John Wesley, tradition, reason, and experience are always subject to Scripture, which is primary. Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, confirmed by reason, and made real and vital in personal experience. Another encouragement for you this morning would be to guard your heart, and I couldn't make up a point any better than Solomon telling his kids in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that above all else, more important for you to do anything is to guard the very core of who you are in the very center of your being. Why? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What you're thinking, what you're feeling, what's going on deep down inside has such a, a big influence on you in terms of how you treat your husband, how you, how you love your wife, how you um, take care of your kids, how you reach out to friends, how you, uh, your work ethic. And so you, what you need to do is, as Solomon said, guard your heart. And we, 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 we're taking a look at this because Jesus said that it, it's what comes out of the heart 
that you got to take a look at. So you've got to pay some close attention to what's happening on the inside. You see, the Pharisees, they were more concerned over what the disciples were putting in their mouths. Jesus was more concerned over what was coming out of their lives. <laughs> it seemed like they were always getting in trouble for eating something. And so the, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, they come to uh, Jesus because they see the disciples doing something. They're like, hey, Jesus, did you notice this about your disciples? And you know, because a disciple lived with a teacher or a rabbi. They, they lived with them, learned from them to live like them. Did you get that? They lived with them to learn from them to live like them. So by the Pharisees coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, do you see your kids over there? See what they're doing? Have you ever had anything like that happen before? You know, someone's like, hey, do you, look at your kids. You know, it can, can be a reflection on you. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but I think this is what they're pointing out. You know, they, they, they'll, they'll, they'll point out things that Jesus said and did and, and that kind of thing, but now they're starting to attack his kids, his disciples. But, but here, they were more concerned about what his disciples were doing with feeding themselves and lacking in an understanding of what was actually coming out of their lives. You see, there's a connection between the words of your lips and the thoughts of your heart. There's also a connection between the actions of our lives and the thoughts of our hearts. This is why we must pay close attention to what's going on on the inside. You got somebody at work that they really get on your nerves. It could be something that you need to talk to them about, but Maybe folk, you know, turn, turn the mirror on, on yourself and just take a look and, and see what's going on or, or, you know, what's going on in your relationships with your, your closest, uh, your friends or, or, or family, whatever it might be. If there's something going on inside of you, like there have been times over this past year and a half where I've been pretty excited about what's been going on with, with my marriage, um, with my girls, with church. But for some reason, entering into some depression, I'm like, why in the world am I down? I don't get this. I don't understand this. So just taking some time to figure out what's going on on the inside of me because of the impact that it can make on the outside of me. If I've got any anger that's, that's you know, in my heart, I need to deal with that. I need to go to the Lord with that and, ha and have him, you know, Lord, just give me strength to, to, to deal with this. And I, I want to let this go. I want to stop being so angry with them. And so, you know, just doing that inward work. But the, there's a connection between the outcome of our lives and what is what we're pouring into our hearts and what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus, he points back to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. I would encourage you that, so as we've been going through Matthew together, that you would be reading each of these chapters of Matthew. But any time that either Matthew quotes a prophet or Jesus quotes a prophet, read the entirety of that chapter. It's a very, because a lot of times, especially with these people, because they were trained to memorize just large, large portions of scripture, that if they heard this, they would start to think about the full context of what Isaiah was speaking about in that section. I want to encourage you to do that. But I, I want you to see something in Jesus quoting Isaiah that, that ought to be true for us. You see, he quotes to them. He says, listen, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He's not saying don't worship. He's not saying don't pray, don't read scripture. What he is saying 
do those things, but make it come from the heart. Remember when we read those two words, in vain. Jesus, our Heavenly Father, does not want our lives or our faith to be empty and to be dead. He wants it to be alive. And he obviously uses the scriptures to do that, uses his very presence in our lives, his Holy Spirit, to do that. Sometimes he can use our traditions to do that, that we can take a look at those uh, that, that great cloud of witnesses that the writer of Hebrew talks about that, you know, just, and, and not only the, the, the one, the, the witnesses that we find in scripture, but also like heroes of the faith who lived 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago. I've got some uh, books in my library that go back to some of the devotional writers that were writing in like 1000 AD. You know, and so just to learn from our traditions, but to realize that, that God through his word wants us to come alive and wants us to have a faith and a life that is alive. What he wants us to do is yes, continue to honor me with your lips, but take care that your hearts are close to me. He wants your faith. He wants your life to have meaning and purpose. He doesn't want it to be empty, including things that you have either done to bring harm to others or what others have done as harm to you. God can take those things and you could end up making an impact on someone's life because you went through something that they also went through. God can use those times in order to make a difference in someone else's life. So listen, use all those tools at our you know, those are incredible resources for us. Number one, the scriptures. But, but pay attention to the people who have gone before you and the traditions that we have. But make sure they're not empty traditions. Make sure that they're alive and they bring meaning. Reason out your faith. If, if you've got any questions, reach out to us. If you've got any doubts, uh, we'll, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Any, any number of our followers here, uh, followers of Jesus, would love to be able to sit down with you as well. But let's reason out our faith together, and then our experience. He wants it to be alive. He wants our faith to be alive. And not just in the moment that we received him for the very first time, but even as we continue to follow him all throughout our lives, he wants our life and our faith to be alive. Father, I want to thank you so much for what you have done to bring us into relationship with you, that, that you, didn't, you didn't leave us on, your, on our own, but you sent Jesus to come and show us the way and to live among us and to live for us what it means to have a faith and a life that's alive. Father, I pray for those of us who are alive that we would act like it and that our faith would be alive, our lives would be alive. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to make Jesus the king of our lives. Help us to submit to him, to his rulership in our lives, and as we follow him, Lord, I pray that you would help us to bring the kingdom to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.